Welcome back, my friend. Welcome. Always good to see a familiar face. We get so many travelers and drifters around here, and it's nice to see the occasional regular popping in. <laughs> Speaking of regulars, we've had some very strange fellows staying for the past few weeks. Always books in with the same name, Myeltopia. Odd name, if you ask me. A lot of our guests tend to use fake names, and for good reason. I suppose you're here for what I've heard this week. <laughs> well, settle yourself in. You won't be disappointed. Being a parent can be a life of worry. Whenever your child isn't well, you worry about how serious it is. When they go away from home overnight, you worry as to how they're doing. You would think that once the child is safe and at home, then the worry would stop. But for some, the worry has just begun. I had to send my daughter straight to her room. In a sudden explosion of anger, she covered our maroon dining room wall in sticky, hot macaroni and cheese. Yellow cheesy noodles and shards of bowl covered our laminate floor. The smell of melted cheese was still strong in the room as I picked up the bowl pieces off the floor and table. More confused than anything, I walked over and sat down in a chair. The wooden legs creaked under me as I slid it forward. I ate my dinner alone, in silence, and hadn't heard a peep from her since sending her up to her room 30 minutes earlier. She's tired. That's what I told myself, that she needed to have some alone time. But I knew something was wrong with her. I didn't see or hear from her again until breakfast the next day. Standing over the stove, I took in the hickory scent as the bacon sizzled next to the scrambled eggs. I thought the aromas emitting from the kitchen would wake her up. As if on cue, small thudding footsteps made their way down from upstairs. My daughter, Ariel, stumbled around the corner. She was still wearing the same pink shirt and jeans she fell asleep in. Her hair, shoulder length and light brown, was in knots and looking like a hot mess. Morning, sunshine. Breakfast is ready. She looked at me for a moment with narrowed eyes. She took her seat and I placed a plate in front of her. Staring at the eggs and bacon, she didn't show the slightest bit of interest. Eat up. I'm sure you're hungry. Same as you didn't eat your dinner last night. I didn't get a response. And she continued to look down at it. As if I had just given her a plate full of rotten meat and withering it maggots. When's mommy coming home? Ariel said. Tomorrow night. So, how was Phoenix? Ariel had just returned from a trip to Phoenix with a friend from church. Her friend's mom had invited her, and it had been her first trip away from home by herself. She had barely contained her excitement, and all the pictures on Facebook showed she had a great time. Are you going to eat? You need to eat something. Are you feeling okay? I stood up and held my palm against her forehead. It wasn't warm. Instead, it felt icy cold, like she had just stepped out from being in a meat freezer. I retracted my hand. Jeez, you're freezing. Do you feel sick, honey? Again, I received no response. I checked her temperature. It was normal. 
I decided to send her back up to bed since she showed no interest in eating at the moment. Could she have caught some kind of bug while on her trip? I once again ate alone at the table. Ariel seemed in better spirits the next day. She had always been a social butterfly. I got a few more words out of her even though she still wasn't wanting to eat. She told me the trip had been fun and she spent most of the time with her friend. Ariel was only seven, so I didn't push about the details too much. I figured when she wanted to tell me more, she would. I sent her outside to play in the backyard. The afternoon had turned out to be a pretty pleasant mixture of warm sunshine and a cool breeze that swept in through the open windows. I had a fenced-in yard, so I wasn't concerned and I told Ariel to come get me if she needed something. She took her Barbie dolls outside with her. I went upstairs to pull the bedding to wash. When I got to the top of the stairs, a new smell hit me. Sweet, like candy. I followed it and ended up in my daughter's room. The sunlight struggled to push through her drawn blinds and drapes and gave the entire room a faint pink atmosphere. I discovered the source of the smell. It was from a small bottle of perfume sitting on Ariel's dresser. I brought the glass bottle close and inhaled again. Cotton candy came to mind. I closed the bottle back up, realizing I hadn't seen this one before. Ariel was always getting into my wife's perfume, so I wasn't surprised it would end up here. One of the two windows in her room overlooked her backyard. I decided to check on her. So I reached and separated two of the blinds. I scanned the yard for a few seconds when I locked eyes with Ariel. She was standing up next to her dollhouse and staring straight up at me. Her long hair blowing slightly in the breeze with eyes like two daggers pointed at me ready to thrust toward and pierce my flesh. I gasped, let go of the blinds and took a step back. A freezing chill went down my spine, like someone dropping an ice cube down my back. I stood motionless and stared. I imagined her still standing there in the green grass glaring at me through the blinds. Relieved, when my wife Sarah got home later, Ariel was up in her room, still quiet as a mouse like before. Coming in through the front door, I motioned for her to follow me into the living room. I spoke to her in a whispered hush. Something's going on with Ariel. Ever since she's been home, she's been acting weird. She hasn't been eating either. Did she act like she was sick? Sarah asked. I checked her yesterday, and her temp was normal. But when I felt her forehead, it was freezing. Like ice. I'll go see her. Probably just need a day or two to rest. Remember, this was her first time being away from us for a while. By the way, nice to see you too, dear. We both chuckled at her comment. You're probably right. Mom knows best. I said and went to sit down in my lazy boy chair. Sarah started upstairs, the steps creaking with each step she took. Oh, hey. Did you get a new perfume recently? Has a sweet smell to it? No. Why? She asked. Oh. It's probably not important. We can talk about it tomorrow. Good night. Love you. 
Sarah continued upstairs until I couldn't hear the creaking anymore. The rest of the night, the house was silent until I came up from bed. Laying there next to Sarah, already passed out, I found it difficult to relax. The events of the previous two days were still fresh and cycling through my mind. I noticed sounds seeping in through our open bedroom door. I sat up in bed and tried to focus on what I was hearing. It sounded like someone mumbling, but even when I focused, I couldn't make out where it was coming from. When I looked out into the darkness of the hallway towards Ariel's room, I swear I saw a flash of red. It vanished just as quickly, and I noticed then the mumbling noises stopped. The rest of the night dragged on, and the sweet smell emitting from her room grew stronger. The following day, we went to Sunday Mass as a family. On the ride there, both Ariel and Sarah were quiet in the car. The hum of the engine and the twang of country music was all that filled the silence. Pulling into a parking space and unbuckling, our ears were assailed by a shrill scream coming from the back of the car. Ariel was violently thrashing around in her seat. All four of her limbs were flying about and her eyes were wide in terror. She struggled to unlock the door, but her fastened seatbelt held her in place. Sarah spoke. What's wrong with her? David, do something! I did the only thing I could think of. I got us the hell out of there before anyone else could hear what was happening. I thought of taking her straight to the emergency room, but as soon as we were out of the church parking lot, Ariel's tantrum ceased. We went straight home afterward. Sarah and I looked at each other when we put the car in park. We looked back at Ariel. She was sitting up, straight in her seat, and I swear I can make out a smirk on her face. The rest of the day was uneventful. Ariel spent most of the day in her room. Sarah expressed her concerns about Ariel's health. Something isn't right with her. She's never behaved like this before. I know, but she doesn't seem physically sick. Other than not eating much, I don't know what it could be. Did she say anything about her trip to you? Sarah asked. She was pacing the living room floor. No, not really. Maybe some kind of phase she's going through? Sarah didn't seem satisfied with that answer. Well, whatever it is, I'm calling to make an appointment for her on Monday to see her primary. Later that night, I awoke to the sound of muffled voices. They were coming from Ariel's room again. I sat up in bed and peered into the dark hallway. Her bedroom door shut, just barely illuminated from the faint nightlight outreaching from the bedroom. I got up and slowly made my way towards the door, the sound of whispering still hitting my ears. Reaching for the knob, I opened the door. The hinges creaked even as I tried to restrain my arm's movement. My nose once again drew in the sweet perfume smell as I entered. I hadn't noticed that I was no longer hearing the voices that had woken me a moment earlier. I used the light from my phone to illuminate and scan the room as best I could. Ariel's bed was empty. I checked in the closet and under her bed. Nothing. I called out in a hush. Ariel, are you in here? Still finding no trace of her, I turned to leave, and that's when her open bedroom door slowly creaked shut. Trapped now, the light of my phone being swallowed up by the darkness. I felt like I was in an abyss with no way out. 
As I stood in what I thought was the middle of the room, I felt something wet smack on my right hand as I gripped my phone. I examined my hand using my phone, and that's when I felt my heart drop into the pit of my stomach. There was blood where I had felt the smack. Looking down at the floor, I saw a rabbit's head, drenched in blood, and where its eyes should have been were now bloody chasms, and the blood looked wet, fresh. I let out my held breath as I tasted bile deep in my throat. The sweet candy smell mixed with the metallic blood it was overwhelming and I made for the door again, this time determined to let nothing stop me. I found the bronze doorknob and felt an instant panic to open the door, but then I heard a deep resonating voice from somewhere in the room, deeper than a man's voice should be. Daddy, don't leave now. The fun is just beginning. The voice was Ariel's, but it was something else's as well. A malevolent sounding one mangled with her still facing the door. Something smacked the back of my head. It was wet, and I dared not reach back to see what it was. I turned around, this time more angry than scared. About to scream out to whatever was in there with me, I stopped when I saw two red blinking orbs looking at me, looking at me from the ceiling. I heard growling emanate from where the orbs were. It was intense, like hearing a pissed off Rottweiler when you run into it on a bad day. I stood motionless and frozen in terror as my muscles would not obey my brain to run. The red orbs blinked and the growling drew closer. Now, almost right above my head, I could feel droplets of warm saliva, no doubt, mixed with blood, spray my face as the thing peered down at me. I could see the eyes in greater detail now. The red was bright like a hot burning furnace. Its breath warm and coming now in stronger puffs forced me to stay put. The sweet smell had all but dissipated just when I thought it would strike. It spoke. No, not it. It was Ariel. I'm sure of it. Somewhere deep down inside she called out to me. Daddy, help me. Help me, please. Ariel, baby, daddy's here, honey. The thing then lets out a blood-curdling scream. I fell off from the ceiling with a thud. I found the light switch seconds later and then Sarah drew the door open, almost knocking me over. David, what on earth is going on? Then we both turned to Ariel on the floor. She was naked with her eyes shut. Her nails were long and pointed, and her hair had turned a sickly gray color, like she had aged many years. My God, David, what happened? I was speechless, not able to form coherent words of any kind. Ariel's at the hospital right now. She's been here for about a week. She hasn't woken up yet or even moved. The doctors have no explanation for what has happened to her. All they say is that she's in some kind of coma. They're monitoring her brain activity and they're saying that it's showing two distinct brainwave patterns. 
someone or something else is in there with her. I want to believe somehow she reached out that night and saved me from a grisly fate. Possibly Sarah as well, because all I saw in those red eyes was hatred and malice. I want to believe she's fighting for her very soul right now. I'm at home right now, alone. Sarah said she would let me know of any new developments. I went into Ariel's room the other day. I'm not sure why I did, thinking somehow I could find an answer or a way to help her. I found an open bottle of perfume. The sweet smell had all but vanished at that point. I know now why Ariel, or whatever it was, she's struggling against brought the perfume home because ever since she's been in the hospital there's been another scent I've noticed on her breath it isn't very strong but if you get close enough you can just make it out it took me a while to figure out what it was it's sulfur I know now somehow a demon found her and won't let her go without a fight I like to think one day hopefully soon I'll get my daughter back, but for now, I must settle for the sweet smell of cotton candy. The loss of a loved one can tear a person's life apart for the short term. The loss of a child can even devastate a person's life forever. A part of them dies with the ones they've lost, forever to leave a hole in their soul. That is, unless there's a way to claw them back. Agnes Kaufman was never the same after her son died. She often wandered about, lost in familiar places, longing around memories like millstones. Rumor was she still pushed little Benjamin's stroller around at night, the whine of its worn-down wheels, a sad reminder for those who heard it. So it was no wonder that many of us were surprised to see her one day, wearing a long, black maternity gown. Word gets around in a small town like Mercy Ridge, yet no one had heard about Agnes having a new suitor, and those who had seen her the week before had spied no such swollen feature on her thin, haggard frame. Oddly, Nancy Otts swore that she heard the grieving mother's mewling prayers to some strange idol while kneeling amongst the wilting flowers of her dying garden. These strange rumblings led me to keep an eye on poor Agnes' home. One night, I followed her to the overgrown reaches of Serenity Grove, Mercy Ridge's cemetery. She passed by little Benjamin's grave, her hand caressing the tombstone. The ground before it appeared to be sunken in, as though its contents had been vacated. Agnes moved to a nearby patch of grass, where she stripped naked and laid her pregnant form spread eagle on the cold ground. I watched in horror as a hydra of writhing umbilicals squirmed from her nether regions, each puncturing the sod of three tombstone-shaded plots. The wet cords went taut and began to retract, soon revealing the limp forms of three tiny suited corpses. One by one, Agnes slowly dragged the lifeless bodies within her, each joining what could only be Benjamin in an amniotic comforts of her ravenous womb. The last thing I saw was her tumorous belly expanding, 
the movement of tiny shapes pressing hard against it. No one saw Agnes after that night, but on a quiet summer night several weeks later, her house exploded in blood-curdling screams. As a growing crowd gathered, the screaming was replaced by elated laughter and the shrieks of newborn children. The crowd paused and slowly withdrew, retreating to the safety of their homes. They knew full well those were not the cries of the living. It's been several months since that awful night, and those in town unfortunate enough to have lost a child have been haunted ever since. Desiree Adams now hears her deceased daughter calling to her from the attic, where the play of rattles speak from the retired crib she put up there so many years ago, and many of us witnessed the poor demise of Mrs. Chatsworth who was swallowed onto the infinite abyss of an unmanned black stroller which giggled out into the woods on the outskirts of town. But even when the bereaved are not under siege by the tragedies of their past, we are all kept under the nightly serenade of lullabies as Agnes Kaufman, the mother of mercy-rich dead children, lulls her offspring into the sweet undead of sleep. Ooh, some of those still make the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. Well, it's late now, and by the looks of it, you're the last one here. Be quiet on the way out, will you? I've got some guesting upstairs, <laughs> and uh, who knows what they've been up to. <coughs> you better take the well-lit route home. Same again next week? And now it's announcement time. Before we see you leave, I would like to take a moment and thank the people who provided their voices to read these horror tales, along with everyone else who has been involved in bringing the horror to life here at the Cursed Inn. If you're a writer and you think your story is sinister enough to be featured on our podcast, or if you'd like to volunteer as a voice actor, send us your demo at thecursedin at gmail.com, and we'll see if you have what it takes to scare our daily guests. Don't forget to check our page on Facebook and Twitter for updates. We'll see you very, very soon.